Welcome to The Independent Minds, a series of conversations between Abbasida and people who think outside the box about how work works with the aim of creating better workplace experiences for everyone. I am your host, Michael Millward, the Managing Director of Abbasida. Today, I am joined by Elias Van Den Acker, who I am told I can call Al because everyone does. Al is the founder of Ideal Schools, a Glasgow-based provider of training for AAT Finance and ICB bookkeeping professionals. Hello, Al. Hello, Michael. Please, could we start by you telling us a bit about your backstory and how a man from the Netherlands ended up in Glasgow? Yes, my family moved to the United States in 1957 from the Netherlands. I was a teenager. When I was 20 years old, I was drafted in the U.S. Navy and posted to the Holy Loch, Scotland, right. which is near Glasgow. Yes. After my service in the Navy, I studied in Michigan a degree in economics, an honors degree in economics, partly paid for by the U.S. Navy. Right. After graduating, I moved back to Scotland for family reasons and started looking for a job. What sort of work did you find? I found uh, work for a large home study college, which is an, a, a United States-owned college. And because of my degree and having lived in, in America, but being in Scotland, they thought I was a right employee to fit in. And I did fit in well. Great. But I was there for 10 years and they had a new management, a company taken over by other companies. The directors there were concerned about profit, and cutting costs, etc. not the students. And I was then director of studies, and I found it very frustrating. And I thought I could do better on my own. And that led to this, the founding of Ideal Schools. Correct. This was in the 1980s? 1983, I set up the college, 40 years ago. It's a long time. It's a long time. And I think we have to think about being a Dutch American living in Scotland back in the 80s. It must have been quite uh, unusual to be someone from another country who's setting up a business in Scotland. Uh, yes, I, I had a sense of community after living here, you know, before I started Ideal Schools, through the church, male voice, choir, pub, friends. So I was not new to the area. Also, I had been using English as a first language now since I was 14 and had no real issues being understood. Right. In general terms, however, starting a business in the West of Scotland was rare, full stop. Not due because I was Dutch, but it was just very uncommon. Most people work in huge industries, shipbuilding, engineering, public sector. Early 80s economic landscape seemed different and many people frowned upon a the risk they believed I was taking. Some of my friends, uh, my family, worried that I was taking on something. But I always had confidence that, that I could do it. Yes. Yeah, I think that that's the key ingredient when you're an entrepreneur, is to have the confidence that you've identified the gap in the market, you've identified the problem that you're going to solve, and yes. you then put your all into it. And remembering back to the 1980s, this was a period of mass unemployment, huge organizations making huge numbers of people redundant, the big successes in the, in the city of London. But once you were out and further away from London, things weren't quite so uh, 
so um, so rosy. I remember there was a Glasgow band called Wet Wet Wet, and they had oh yes, their first hit was um, "Wishing I Was Lucky," which was all about leaving Glasgow and going to London because that was where everything was. But you kept your your business in Glasgow. Yes, the market for professional qualifications has always been very competitive. The same sort of time as you were setting up ideal schools. I was studying for my HR qualifications for what is now the CIPD, the Chartered Institute of Personal Development and the Institute of Training and Development, which is now part of the CIPD. But there were lots of different choices as to the way in which I could have done those qualifications. It's a very competitive industry to go into, even though I know it was one that you knew well. What did you do to make ideal schools stand out in such a competitive market what was the usp before i enter the usp if i can just comment on your background mm-hmm. uh, after my degree in america which was economics i studied for an institute of training and development ah. and then i did my mba in glasgow and i got my full qualification in cipd great i never became a fellow i'm still a member and uh one of my main areas studied was actually, you know, the the unions and how they affected companies and how the good companies work with the unions and the success they had. And I learned a lot from it. But my unique selling point is basically preparing the students. We have something quite different from other colleges. Our tutor marked assignments are all marked by humans with lots of comments, examples and references. That takes time, and we pay the tutors money. We offer our own mock exams, and we're the only college that includes as standard the official mock papers from the examining bodies, which cost money, and we don't charge the students. So Mm -hmm. our students are ready for their exams. So I suppose the unique selling point is our service to the student. Yes. I'm going to agree with you there. That is a a very special way of offering a service to support people as they're learning something new. But I'm going to go back slightly because if you looked at the way in which successful employers work with trade unions and work with their employees, that's where they reduce the conflict. Now, I'm hoping there'd be no conflict between an education provider and like ideal schools and the students. So we haven't necessarily got to worry about that. But the the key ingredient to working well with a trade union, speaking as an HR person to another HR person, it's the strength of the relationship. You have to build the trust. Yes. You have to demonstrate the respect. Yes. And and give people the sorts of things that you can give them within the resources that you have in order to make them successful, because it's only by making everybody on the team successful and your students are part of the team that the organization becomes successful. Yes. I totally agree with what you're saying about your USP, but when you mention also learning lessons from HR about how to deal with employees and trade unions, and then it sounds like you've transferred that across to how you interact with your customers who are your students. Yeah. Yeah, I I certainly tried. Yeah, I tried to do that. And yes, that was important in my background. Yeah, Yeah, you build a a complete relationship with people. And I know that you've you've recently retired, so I know I'm bringing you back into work. 
but you had an event to celebrate your retirement and the 40th anniversary of Ideal Schools. And when people were telling me about that, I was amazed, but not surprised after talking to you about how you've built Ideal Schools by the number of people from years gone by who'd been students, who'd maintained a relationship with Ideal Schools throughout their career. This is not just somewhere where you go do an exam and then walk away and never hear from them again. There's, you've, you've done all those things that organizations now talk about in terms of building a community of your customers. And yet that sounds like what you were doing, started doing 40 years ago. I've been very fortunate in many ways, Michael, in that I, mm-hmm. I, I had very you know loyal students. Some of the people were lecturers at local colleges whom I engaged to help write and update material for taxation, etc. I always wanted the study material to be the best. Yes. And I kept contact with some of those people. And some of those contacts were at, at the at the party, uh, my 40th party last month. We're retired now, not like me, they're old and retired, but but we kept contact. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But actually what you're saying there is that the people who learnt their profession with ideal schools use that as a foundation for building a career and then were able to be the people who helped you develop and top quality study resources and maintain the quality of those study resources as well so it's almost like you are generating your own producers of those resources from the, the training that you've given them and then they go off and, and build careers become the experts one of the guests and uh his wife came too. Uh, he started studying when he was 63. Mm-hmm. He's now in his late 70s. Ooh. Uh, set up his own bookkeeping business. Yeah. He employs a number of bookkeepers who have been trained by us. And uh, he is willing to talk to new students who set up the business. We almost call him an ambassador. It's that kind of loyalty that I am very fortunate to have from past students. And so in, in, in a way... I think luck plays a part. You you can have things that go wrong, but I've been very fortunate, Michael. Yes, I would agree with you. It's it's quite a special relationship that you've built with your students, and then they go on into, like I say, develop careers and become employers of other people. Yeah. I hear a lot of people talking about what computers will now do in terms of financial management and all sorts of things that can be managed on your telephone, on your smartphone, creating invoices and all these sorts of things. And it's almost as if part of a profession is being eroded by technology. And I, I just wonder, you've been in that profession developing people for 40 years. What sort of changes are you seeing in the bookkeeping profession and the accountancy profession? Well, the, 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 there have been you know, so many, if, for example... Uh, in 1983, there was no internet, there was no Facebook, no Twitter, no X, there was no Instagram, no smartphones, laptops. The students would handwrite in their materials and assignments. Some were typed and it would be posted and the postman would be delivered the mail the next day. Times have changed. Competing for mind share and attention is harder than ever, making a lasting impression. Everyone's trying to go viral. Information overload at, at the moment. And yeah, techni- technology has changed a lot, good and bad. But we have used it for the good. 
all our students, for example, now have to email everything to us and not straight to the tutor who emails it back with suggested answers. We also have a special private Facebook for students. We have a special private for graduates in practice. So those things were not possible when I first started, and they're very, very helpful. But there's also then a challenge. We must make sure that our students are happy and satisfied because they can talk to each other. They can say, oh, I got a bad mark the other day, and I, I don't think I did so bad. But then quite quickly, others will say, oh, no, that particular assignment, if that is not right, you won't pass until Scott is happy that you got it right. So we are using the technology as as as, a, as an advantage to us. Yes, I can see that. Uh, you're using the technology to uh, enable people who are learning by themselves to actually interact with other students and to learn from the other students as well, even if that is Correct. Uh, yeah. where someone is saying, well, I'm not happy with this. And then somebody else saying, well, no, no one would be happy with that. But, but that feedback from your peers, I suppose, it is, can add an awful lot to the learning process. And it seems that you are much more about the learning process than simply passing the exam. Yes, I've always been interested in, 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 in learning and teaching. But how, how do I get them to you know remember what they have to yes. remember? So our study materials are online, but... The, most of it is hard copy. And after a certain number of pages and examples, there's a self-test, which they must do. Mm-hmm. After a certain section, there's an assignment they must complete online and send it to us. So it, it's repetition. Some students think it's a bit boring, but it works. It works. When they come to the exam, etc., which they must take under exam conditions, yep. uh, it's online now, of course, and they're Zoomed. But they pass. We have a very high pass rate. That, that is, we're so proud of that. That's great. Are you seeing an increase or a decrease in the demand for bookkeeping and accountancy qualifications? It, there, there is an increase in spite of all the, the, you know, the changes and the automatic companies that spring up and do the books for you. And, and it's, it's easier now. We use Sage software, but, but the majority mm-hmm. of our students choose zero, which we, we do. But for example, in... The government's small companies audit exemption of 2015 meant that small companies don't have to have an audit. So of the limited companies in this country, 90% are small, mm-hmm. small businesses. So not having to need an audit, but they must have an audit for their taxation and their self-assessment to be correct. They should have the accounts prepared. Most of the small businesses will be dealing with their bank who will insist that there is some sort of, you know, Order. authentication of their accounts. Yes. So our bookkeepers who are charging between 25, maybe 30 pounds an hour can compete with chartered accountants who charge in, in, in three figures now per hour. And chartered accountants don't mind. They don't want to go to these wee hairdressing shops and garages and everything else and get a handful of invoices and sort all that all the paperwork and yeah exactly the invoices in a shoebox type of thing <laughs> yes I, was gonna, I had that written down somewhere but <laughs> i'm skipping the pages of it's, a, it's a it's a it's a guilty um confession there so 
as as someone who runs a small business, I do have like all my receipts and things in a in a box and give them to my bookkeeper exactly. to to like I talk them through all the various different things that um, they relate to and, and they put them all into order. And I think that's something that adds an awful lot of value to me as a as and allows me to focus on what I enjoy and what I'm good at rather than having to worry about something that is important, has to be done, but somebody else enjoys doing that more than I do. So that's what they excel at. Let them do it. But yes, it's from my perspective is reassuring to know that they have the professional qualification in order to do what it is that I need them to do. And I think part of that is that they know beyond the basics. They know beyond just the the simple, straightforward thing that they can they can foresee because of their training and their professionalism issues that I, without that professional knowledge, can't see, yes. aren't aware of, and we we end up being a more efficient and more effective back office because of that professional knowledge. Yes, 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 Michael. I think that is one of the things that when you say the demand is increasing, more and more people are realizing that if they want to go into a profession, that they do actually need to make sure that they are qualified. Correct. Correct. Yeah. That's it. Uh, one of the changes that the HMRC made, it's going back now 15 years or more, which then helped the business, is that they clamped down on money laundering. Yes. So bookkeepers now have to be registered you cannot set yourself up as a bookkeeper without having been registered either by a college where you have passed the exams or by hmrc from past experience etc you must have this qualification and you must have a very rigorous interview with new clients to ensure that their business is legitimate and not used for money laundering yes that is part of our teaching as well. So that actually helped us increase our business when HMRC cracked down on illegal money laundering. So, yes. But there are changes from time to time. And that's why it's it's important that we and staff are qualified. So we, we can see, we, we can see things coming and we can adapt and amend and adjust to it. That, that's, that's important. Yes. Things never stay the same. No, never stay the same. But I think... In some ways they do. We were talking about the relationship that you have with your staff and the relationship that you have with your customers who are the students is the thing that stays the same. Yes, yes. The other things, rules, regulations may change, but what you've talked about in terms of your organization, Ideal Schools, and what has led to it being successful for 40 years and now that you're handing over the reins to your son, Scott, it will continue to be successful, but it is that basic thing about making sure you've got the right relationship with your customers that has been the key to achieving your success. Yes, yes, correct. Yeah. Your retirement has attracted a lot of press attention, and Scott has been quoted as saying that you are the person that uh, showed him what good business should be like. So my last question is, uh, what does good business mean to you? That's a good point. What does good business mean to me? Uh, A good business to me means that the business has a solid business plan and a clear mission statement. 
it must not just start on a piece of paper. And I hear people saying, oh, we do brainstorming and we do all this and everything else. That's very nice and everything. But you've got to have the basics. One, a business plan. Two, employ quality staff and ensure that conditions, the relationship, including pay, are excellent. And then you can retain the staff and they will then, you know, work with you. Yes. And regarding the staff, never be afraid to employ somebody who is cleverer than you. I've learned this from a businessman years ago. And he said, I have several people whose IQ is way above mine and they're no threat to me. He said, if I kept it to my level, my business would not have achieved the things that are now possible because of my staff. So that is a key of what good business is the customer is king. That it should be in capital letters on everybody's desk. Yes. Our students drive the business and they come first. That is good business to me. That's great. I hope Scott remembers that. <laughs> <laughs> I am sure he will. And I wish him every success with the future development of ideal schools, just as I wish you a very long, happy and healthy retirement. But for the moment, Thank you very much for helping me make an interesting episode of The Independent Minds. Thank you, Al. You're very, very welcome. And it was nice to, to, to hear you speaking and these questions. And while I was a bit nervous initially to, to, to speak like this, I think, I think you put me at ease. And I, I, I thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. And that's a really kind thing to say. Thank you. I do appreciate it. But... Remembering what you said about good business being to make sure that your customer is yes. king or queen, oh. right? I would like to thank my audience who are the king and the queen. So thank you very much to all of the audience for listening to this episode of The Independent Minds. I am Michael Millward, the Managing Director of Abbasida, and I have been having a conversation with the independent mind who is Elias van den Acker, the founder of Ideal Schools. You can find out more information about both of us at abbasida.co.uk. There is a link in the description along with a link to Ideal Schools. If you have liked this edition of The Independent Minds, please give it a like. And to make sure you don't miss out on future editions, please subscribe. Remember, in the podcast produced by Abbasida, we don't tell you what to think, but we do hope to make you think. Thank you.